Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you again for the bright sunshine this morning and what it, what it does to make us feel good. Thank you for everything in your creation uh, to fill us with joy and happiness and marvel at the beauty of it and wonder at the creativity and the power of you as its creator. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't just stop at creation, but you kept going and, and using men to write down your words so that we have them and we are able to have your truth and your message to us. So Lord, I pray that your word would go forth, the power of your word would go forth, lives would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are once again, that time of the year again, on Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl 54. Between the Kansas City Chiefs, who haven't been to a Super Bowl since the 1969-1970 season, a long time ago, and the San Francisco 49ers, whose last visit to the Super Bowl was in 1995, behind quarterback Steve Young. So it'll be an interesting game this year, given the fact that the two teams playing haven't been there in so long. FoxSports.com published an article a few years ago that ranked the importance of positions on any given football team and how that importance is reflected in their average salary. I was surprised by some and not at all surprised by others. For instance, at the bottom of the list, at the bottom of the list, this may be a surprise or not a surprise, is the long snapper. The guy who snaps the ball to the punter. He makes the least amount of money. Team scouts don't go scoping out college games looking for their dream long snapper. <laughs> As long as the guy can snap a ball straight and far enough to their punter, they have job security. That ranking on the list is reflected in their average salary, with long snappers <clears throat> only raking in $773,000 a year. <laughs> only. Equally as unsurprising on this list was the number one position on any team is the, what do you think, quarterback. Quarterback not only needs to throw the ball well and accurately, but he also has to be a good leader. He needs to stay cool under pressure. And he's the major difference in the play calling. The quarterback is what makes or breaks how successful a team's offense is. As such, he nets himself an average of a cool $4.6 million a year, each year. The biggest surprise to me on the list, however, was the ranking of the kicker at number 14 out of 17 ranked positions. Anyone who has watched any amount of football knows that many, many games, especially the biggest game, like today, have been won by only what? A field goal. And largely a field goal from far away. I would think needing a good and reliable kicker would be highly sought after considering their huge impact on the final score, but I'm also not a team manager, so I'll leave that up to them. The Corinthian church struggled with how they ranked the importance of different spiritual gifts in the church's function, life, and growth. 
we can gather from how Paul addresses different things that there were many in the church who were holding the more so-called miraculous gifts of prophecy, healing, miracles, and tongues, along with those who possess those gifts in much higher esteem than those who possess the so-called non-miraculous gifts of understanding and applying scripture well and sensitively and those who possessed a great and deep amount of faith. Paul has spent all of chapter 12 addressing this specific area of self-centered arrogance, listing a bunch of different spiritual gifts to all together in one group, including both miraculous and non-miraculous gifts. By doing this, he was showing that those Corinthians who thought that there were some who were more important were actually equal to those they thought they weren't. Paul then used the illustration of the human body to show how every person, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what background you come from or what your worldly status is, every person in the body of Christ or the church has a crucial and needed function, job, and place in order to help that body heal, move forward, and grow. Now, as Paul finishes up this emphasis and chapter, he turns back to the spiritual gifts and now connects them to the vital importance that every single person in the body of Christ has in the church. It's as if Paul is saying, if you didn't catch the connection I was making with the human body to the importance of all of the spiritual gifts and their place in the growth of the church, here it is plainly. I'll lay it out for you right here. That's what we're focusing on today as we finish up chapter 12 and we'll finish up our four-part mini-series on the body of Christ. So the first point that we come to is the inventory. As Paul wraps up this section in his grander discussion on spiritual gifts, he once again reiterates what he introduced in his thesis statement back in verse 12. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 27. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Uh, please also turn there. It's in the New Testament. If you're having trouble finding it, ask a neighbor, look in the table of contents. There's no shame in any of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 27. We read, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. That sounds very familiar. We've read similar statements to that all throughout this chapter. And every other reference to the human body and the body of Christ being made up in the exact same way with many, many members, all with different functions and jobs, but all working together as one, Paul just generally refers to them. You can see this. You can look back and and take a look at it in verses 12, 14, 18, and 20. He just generally refers to it as an illustration. But verse 27 is where Paul makes all of this, he takes all of it, and makes it blatantly personal to the Corinthians. Like I said a few seconds ago, Paul says here, in case you missed it, you, as the body of Christ, must be everything I've just been referencing in connection with a human body. Take everything I've just been talking about and apply it to yourselves as a church. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. 
Next, Paul gives another inventory, another inventory list of spiritual gifts that is similar to the list he gave in verses 8 through 10, which we already covered, but is also pretty different. You've heard me reference this before, but why, what, what, what does this tell us by him doing two different lists? That neither list is exhaustive. That's what it tells us. That neither list is exhaustive. And this is what I mean. In verses 8 through 10, we have this list. Word of wisdom, or the accurate understanding of Scripture. Word of knowledge, or the accurate application of Scripture in a sensitive way. Great faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between which messages are from demons and which messages are from God, speaking in tongues or different earthly languages, and the interpretation of those languages. Now, in verse 28, we read, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Paul omits the words of wisdom, and he omits the, the word of knowledge found in verse 8, and great faith in verse 9, and includes the gifts of helps and administrations in this list, as well as the positions of apostle and teacher. Why? Why does Paul do this? Why not just reiterate what he's already just said to drill it into the Corinthians' minds? It's because of Paul's point that there is no official list of spiritual gifts. That God will gift someone the way he deems necessary for that person to carry out the job that Jesus gives to them. And it may be on a list, and it may not be on a list. That's up to God. See, a lot of people make the mistake that if they don't feel God has spiritually gifted them with anything that's on one of these lists in the Bible then God hasn't spiritually gifted them with anything. That's simply not true. And here's why. In both of the lists we've already looked at, Paul is just naming gifts off the top of his head to show that they're all necessary and crucial to the growth of the church, not just a select few. Elsewhere, Paul lists other gifts in addition to others he's already mentioned. He says in Romans 12, if your gift is to encourage others... Be encouraging. There's another gift that he doesn't mention in 1 Corinthians 12 at all. If, you, if it's giving, give generously. There's another gift. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. There's another gift. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. A completely different list of spiritual gifts than we've already looked at in 1 Corinthians 12. We have the same guy, Paul, listing the spiritual gifts of encouragement, giving, leadership, and kindness. In Ephesians 4.11, same guy, Paul lists other spiritual gifted positions he doesn't mention in verse 28 of our passage this morning. He says, now these are the gifts God gave to the, uh, Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, those are the same. Then he mentions the evangelists and the pastors, those are different, and teachers. That's the same. Here, he also includes evangelists and pastors, which he didn't, in 1 Corinthians 12. 
And the Apostle Peter, a completely different guy, mentions other spiritual gifts too. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Another list of different gifts. When you read these passages, you can understand that these guys were not writing down every specific spiritual gift that has ever or will ever exist. They were just jotting down ones the Holy Spirit brought to their mind right then and there to prove the point that whatever the gift was, to use them with all of your heart to bring God glory. My point is this. Your spiritual gift or gifts may or may not be ones located on a list anywhere in Scripture. These are not exhaustive, and they were not meant to be exhaustive. That's why I've said over the past couple of weeks that if you don't know what your Jesus-given mission is, nor the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit has given to you in order to fulfill that mission, explore it. Explore it in prayer. Talk it over with a believing friend. And with God's help, figure it out. Figure it out. Just because God reveals to you just because what God reveals to you may or may not be on one of these lists doesn't mean He hasn't gifted you in that way. Figure out what God has gifted you with and then run with it. Use it and do the mission Jesus has given to you with all of your heart in order to bring Him the most glory you possibly can. And as we all do that with the individual missions and gifts God has given to us, we will see our church explode with both spiritual and numerical growth. And all that said, let's get into the individual gifts and gifted positions that Paul does mention in this list in verse 28. So we talked about the inventory, and secondly, we're going to talk about the individual. The individual gifts that Paul lists in verse 28. Let's read that again, verse 28 again. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Firstly, we read here that once again, surprise, it's God who gifts people in the church in the way He wants to. We read that again. And God has appointed these different positions, and these different gifts. It's God who gifts people in the church in the way that He wants to. As we talked about when we specifically talked about the more miraculous spiritual gifts in verses 9-10, through 10, we can determine from Scripture that none of the spiritual gifts, even these more miraculous ones of prophecy, healing, miracles, and tongues, will cease until Jesus returns for us. We know Him just as He knows us now, and they are no longer needed. We saw, when we looked at each of them, how they are foretaste glimpses into different aspects of the future kingdom of God here and now. However, 
Even though none of these gifts will fully cease until Jesus returns for us, because it's God determining how he gifts each person, he gifts gifts each of us according to what he determines will be the most beneficial to the church, especially in accordance with how much of a presence the gospel already has. For instance, the gifts of healing, tongues, and even miracles of raising people from the dead are much more necessary and beneficial for proving the power of the gospel in a place where the gospel message is not established that much. In a place where the gospel presence has been pretty firmly established, however, no matter how much it's ignored, like the United States, these gifts are not necessarily as needed or beneficial to the growth of the church. Paul's point in this list, which is just as relevant as it is today, is that no matter how God has gifted you through his indwelling Holy Spirit, that gift is crucial to the growth of your church. That gift is crucial to the growth of your church. You're needed. No matter how important or unimportant you think your God-given gift and mission is. Paul's point is the exact same in verse 28 as it was back in verses 8 through 10. That of listing several gifted positions and gifts all together that are all vitally needed for the church. Paul's point in this list, as such... And biblical scholars will differ on this. But within this context, when Paul notes that apostles are first in rank, then prophets, then teachers, what makes the most sense is that what Paul is doing here is he's being ironic. He's doing this ironically. As we've seen, as we've worked our way through Paul's letters, he's a big fan of pointing out the ironic, isn't he? He likes to do that time and time again as we've been working our way through Paul's letters. As we've seen as we've worked our way through them, he loves to be ironic. One major example of this is when Paul was rebuking the Corinthians for showing blatant favoritism towards those in higher socioeconomic statuses and blatant discrimination towards those in lower socioeconomic statuses. Whenever they gathered together to worship God and partake in the Lord's Supper, which we'll also be doing in a few minutes. What the Corinthian church members saw as not meaning much, especially those who were being favored, Paul rebukes quite strongly by outright saying, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Every time you gather together for worship, you're actually bringing more harm to the cause of Christ. In fact, it would be better if you didn't gather together at all. Furthermore, when those who flaunted their Christian liberty and didn't see a problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols and the pagan deities they represented, Paul said, yes, it's true that these deities don't actually exist, but the demonic powers that fuel their worship certainly do. That's who you're actually being connected to when you partake in these pagan temple celebrations. And here's the ironic part. Your so-called Christian liberty is actually causing you to connect yourself with the kingdom of darkness. So when Paul gives a ranking of position, 
it should catch us off guard at first, since Paul has spent the whole of chapter 12 dismantling any kind of ranking of gifts. That's what he's been doing the entire time in chapter 12. So when Paul comes out of nowhere and starts ranking things, it should catch us off guard. So knowing what we already have deduced about Paul and about his writing style, it's better understood that what Paul is doing here in verse 28 is saying, you think that the gift of tongues is the best gift out there for you to have? But as Paul will instruct in chapter 14, if there was going to be any kind of rank, it would be the gifted positions of apostle, prophet, and teacher. Why? Because in Paul's day, the positions of apostle, prophet, and teacher served the entire church body in the most generally beneficial ways. Now, when we covered the gift of prophecy a couple months back, you'll remember that prophecy could be defined in the New Testament understanding, and therefore in today's understanding, as any sense, leading, message, vision, image, or dream that is directly given by God but then interpreted and therefore relayed by a human messenger. That interpretation and that relaying of that interpretation may be flawed because you have an image that's been directly given to you by God, but the way you interpret it and then speak it out may be flawed. That's why uh, the, the, the interpretation and relaying of that interpretation is what Paul refers to as prophecy. That's why Paul gives the instruction that the humanly interpreted and relayed message, or what is known as prophecy in the New Testament, must be weighed by the rest of the congregation as to its accuracy. But as Paul will say in a little bit, one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. That's the purpose of prophecy. Those who have been given the gift of receiving the pure revelation from God or prompting from God and are responsible for relaying those to the church generally strengthen, encourage, and comfort the whole gener- uh, congregation. That is a needed gift. Who here doesn't want to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted by promptings by the Holy Spirit? The gifted role of teacher is a little bit better for us to grasp and understand today. These are individuals who are given the mission mission by Jesus to teach others about scriptural truth. They therefore are spiritually gifted in order to do so. Teachers usually are gifted with the words of wisdom and words of knowledge in order to sensitively and clearly teach scriptural truths to children or teens, or adults, in all different levels of faith growth. You may feel like Jesus has given you the mission to teach children and have been gifted to do so. You may feel that Jesus has given you the mission to teach teens and have been gifted to do so. You may feel like Jesus has given you the mission to teach adults in different walks of life, perhaps in recovery, or who are new to the faith, or who have been walking with God for a long time. I chose to tackle the position of apostle last for a reason. Now, different churches interpret this position of apostle in this list as a messenger or a missionary and title different people in their church as an apostle. 
but they only see them as a missionary or, or a messenger. I'm not here to bash that understanding at all, but it seems like Paul is referring to something different here than just a messenger of the gospel or a missionary. When we look at the term apostle throughout the New Testament, as one biblical scholar pointed out, this is a differently qualified person than the average person. Anyone could be gifted to be a New Testament prophet or a teacher or an evangelist or a pastor. Anybody could be spiritually gifted to do those things. But there were specific qualifications that were needed to have in order to be an apostle. Firstly, you needed to have some personal contact or interaction with Jesus himself, and you needed to have seen Jesus in his resurrected body. That was one qualification of being the apostle. Secondly, you needed to be appointed by Jesus himself to be his witness and messenger. The apostles were usually surrounded by an inordinate amount of performing miracles and miraculous healings. When we read in the book of Acts that Paul's shadow just needed to be cast over somebody and they were physically healed just from having Paul's shadow fall on them. <clears throat> they, were <surrounded. coughs> they were surrounded by an inordinate amount of performing miracles and miraculous healings. Paul, in backing up his own apostleship to the Corinthians, appealed, Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen our Lord with my own eyes? He's appealing to one of those qualifications, that he had seen the Lord Jesus with his own eyes after his resurrection. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to two men who had believed in him on the road to Emmaus, who went to the remaining 11 disciples, along with other believers with them, and there Jesus appeared in his resurrection body again. Addressing that whole group, Jesus said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name, to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. This is Jesus' appointing of the apostles, right here in this passage. Except Paul, of course, especially verse 48, when he says, you are witnesses of all these things. That's him appointing apostles. Now granted, there were the 12 apostles after the 11 added Matthias, after he met the qualification of, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Personal contact, personal interaction with Jesus. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection because they saw him in his resurrection body. So we have the 12 apostles after they added Matthias. But when Luke refers to Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14.14, 14, he says, 
But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people. So it doesn't seem like only the eleven, Matthias and Paul, were the only people to fit the qualifications and therefore serve the church as apostles. There's a very good chance that Barnabas was with the others back in Luke 24 that we read already when Jesus appeared to them and told them that they would be his witnesses. At the same time, the apostles in the New Testament didn't seem to only oversee a specific church. That job was left to the elders that the apostles would appoint. Because the term apostle was only used to refer to those, those who had personal interaction with Jesus and saw him in his resurrection body and were appointed by him to be an apostle, what that means today is that in the New Testament understanding of what an apostle was and what their qualifications were, the position of New Testament apostle no longer exists since they all died out about 2,000 years ago. So what we have is the inventory, we have the individual, and thirdly, we have the inspiration. What this, this list of gifts should inspire us to. The other gifts that are different here that we haven't seen before are the gifts of helps and administrations. The word for helps in the Greek carries with it the meaning of partaking in or taking hold of something especially in accordance with the situation. In other words, one way to understanding the gift of helps is seeing someone carrying a heavy bag of items and coming alongside and, and proportionately partaking in and taking a hold of that bag to help carry that bag. That's what the gift of helps means. It's not seeing someone struggling with the heavy bag and coming alongside of them and saying, you can do it, I know you can do it. Go, go, go. That's not what the gift of helps is. It's literally carrying that heavy burden with someone in order to provide some relief from that heavy burden. It's one thing to serve someone. Lots of people do that all the time. In fact, serving is what Jesus calls every single one of us to do in order to show the heart of the gospel. But it takes a special spiritual gift called helps that the Holy Spirit specifically gives to individuals in order to help with their Jesus-given mission of serving that gives them the mental, emotional, and spiritual strength to partake in and help shoulder heavy physical, emotional, and spiritual burdens. If you have the gift of helps, you are greatly needed. Greatly. If you're not using that gift, many in our church are suffering unnecessarily simply because you're not using that gift. You can make a major difference in someone's life just by using that gift of helps to help relieve some of the pain and suffering a fellow brother or sister is going through. This is often overlooked, but it's vitally crucial for the church. Use it 
and make a major difference in the healing and growth of not only individuals in our church, but our church as a whole. Secondly is the gift of administrations. The gift of administrations is not just keeping things in order and doing them in an orderly way. We might think that. The word used for administrations is the word used for the pilot or captain of a ship who steers the ship in the direction they want the ship to go. It's a word for confident and wise leadership. That's what administrations is. That's what the gift of administrations is. We often use it to refer to the government. For instance, the Trump administration, the direction that government is steering the country, for better or for worse. Here, Paul uses it in the context of the church. Those who serve as elders must have the gift of administration and must see it as a Holy Spirit-given spiritual gift. When our elder board convenes regularly, we always, always, always ask for the Lord's leading and guidance. We know it's not our wisdom that steers the ship of this church, but the wisdom that only God gives. Wisdom that is unifying and wisdom that is clear. We understand that we are only under-shepherds, appointed by the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and as recognized and confirmed by the congregation, entrusted to steer His church to the best of the wisdom He gives. Leading and steering is a spiritual gift. The mission for leading is given by Jesus to lead His church, And the gift of administrations is given by the Holy Spirit in order to do that. That gift of administrations is also seen in the role of the leaders of our different ministries. To do things in a purposeful, orderly, biblical, and effective way. You can see that the leaders of our our different ministries, children's, youth, women's, men's, outreach, all have that gift of administrations that have been given to them to take what has been entrusted to them and to fulfill it with the wisdom that only comes from God. In that way, everything that goes on or happens through our church is reliant upon a Jesus-given mission and a Holy Spirit-given gift. Not one thing is self-powered or self-sustained. They are all completely reliant upon the guidance, wisdom, strength, empower of Almighty God to accomplish anything. That's what God created the church to be. To be completely reliant upon Him in every single way. In that way, again, Paul reiterates verses 29 through 30. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Not one person possesses all the spiritual gifts. Not everyone has been gifted to teach. Not everyone has been gifted to prophesy. Not everyone has been gifted to bring about healing through their prayers. And especially pertinent to Paul's context, not everyone has been gifted to speak in tongues or other languages, nor interpret those languages for everyone else. Important to the topic of spiritual gifts is verse 30. 
All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Some churches teach and believe that if you truly are a believer in Jesus, you will speak in tongues at some point in your life. And if you haven't, then your salvation can be called into question. But verse 30 is quite clear in its hypothetical question. Not everyone has the gift of speaking in tongues, do they? With the obvious and resounding answer being, no, of course not. Not everybody has all of the spiritual gifts. When Paul ends with verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way, he's probably connecting back to verse 28. The Corinthians have been relegating some gifts and positions, namely those he's specifically referenced in verse 28, apostles, prophets, and teachers, as lesser than, as inferior. But as Paul in verse 31 is saying, those gifts that you've neglected by choosing to elevate others such as tongues are actually the most beneficial to the church as a whole. Apostles generally oversee and instruct the universal church as a whole, not just any one local church. Prophets encourage, strengthen, and comfort the church as a whole, something that is always greatly needed. And teachers take what God has already revealed in his holy scripture and make it relevant and important to everyday life for everyone. These are things any and every church, anywhere and everywhere, generally needs. Therefore, seek out those who possess those gifts to make the church as strong and powerful as possible. Lastly, Paul ends this section with that there's something out there, there's something out there that's actually even more powerful than any spiritual gift that anyone could be given. And it's something any believer can possess. And it's something any and every believer can practice. Regardless of the mission and spiritual gifts they've been given. We'll get into that next week. You have to come back next week to find out what it is. As we've been talking about for quite a while, every single person here or listening and watching online later, has a Jesus-given mission. And therefore, every single person here has been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit in order to equip them to fulfill that mission. Be inspired to explore with God what you have. Be inspired to explore with God what He's given to you, what He's leading you to do. We've been talking about quite a few spiritual gifts over the past few months. And they're all on the same level in building up our church. That was Paul's point throughout this whole thing, was that they're all on the same level, and they're all vital, and they're all crucial to building up the church. They all work together as one. So let us all seek out what mission Jesus has given to each of us individually, what gifts God has given to fulfill that. And then do it. Some of you were waiting on the edge of your seat to see what I was going to say next. And then do it. 
Those gifts may or may not be on a list in Scripture. Don't make the mistake that God has not gifted you because it doesn't appear on a list somewhere in the New Testament. Figure it out with God. As Paul reiterates, once again, anything he has given to anyone to do in or for his church, he has appointed. We already read that. God has appointed in the church. That's what we started our time out with this morning. God has appointed in the church. Fulfill what God has appointed for you to do in and through and for his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful words, words that I hope are encouraging and inspiring, words that are filled with your power. Lord, I pray that as we've been talking about over the past few weeks, that if there's anybody here who doesn't know what their Jesus-given mission is, or doesn't know what the gifts that you've given to them are, that's okay, but Lord, I pray that you would not leave them there, not let them stay there, but that you would create a discontentment in them, a churning in them, uh, to explore what that is. Maybe talk it over with a believing friend. Wrestle with it in prayer with you. Figure, figure out what the individual mission is that we have found out from Scripture, that each and every one of us has been given, and what spiritual gifts you've given to equip us to do those things. And Lord, may you unleash us in this church and unleash us in this world to be a powerful and driving force for your kingdom. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.